Welcome to episode 280 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Guess what? You don't have to wonder if your offer will be a success. After all, the biggest question when you're taking your offer to market, whether it's a book, a course, consulting, coaching, or anything else, is not whether you have a great idea. You know you have a great idea. No, the biggest questions are the ones sitting in the back of your mind. Will anyone actually buy this? How do I know if what I'm selling is what people want? How do I build an audience of enthusiastic endorsers and fans? What if I told you that you already have the answer to all those questions? You just haven't tapped into the resource that will unlock them for you. Can you believe that all you have to do to get the answers you need is ask? Here's a big hint. It's your list. No, not just the folks in your email list. Think about all the people you already know. The list of people in your social networks, your professional associations, your personal circle, the list of folks who love you and trust you, have problems to solve, and will tell you exactly what they need and how you and your offer can help them. And getting on the path to those answers can be as easy as joining a group of like-minded individuals for a two-hour mastermind focused on how you can create this list, reconnect with those folks, and not just find the answers you're looking for, but build a network that will be ecstatic to help you promote your offer once it's out. Are you ready to get started? This June, I would love for you to join me and other folks on the same entrepreneurial path for one of six pop-up Wake Up Your Network Mastermind sessions. We'll cover my proven method that I and dozens of others I've helped have successfully used on how to discover likely prospects and referral partners, how to reach out to them, and how to structure and maximize those research calls. In just two hours, you will get the support you need to build and connect with your likely prospect list in the best, most efficient way. You'll also meet and support other smart, committed, and abundant-minded entrepreneurs who are passionate about sharing their gift and creating value in all that they do. The cost is just $200 for a one-time, two-hour mastermind session. To help you make the mastermind as powerful as possible for you, you're required to make progress on the assigned pre-work in the Wake Up Your Network workbook. You'll receive additional resources in the Big Results Toolkit, which will help you take action on what you learn in this pop-up mastermind. Go to robbysamuels.com forward slash pop-up app. That's robbysamuels.com forward slash P-O-P-U-P-A-P-P by Monday, May 23rd to fill out the application to ensure we can hyper-focus on your specific questions and goals, each session is capped at 12 participants. Only six sessions will be held this summer. Applications will be reviewed and accepted on a rolling basis. Apply quickly to be able to select your one-time, two-hour session while all dates are still available. Please join us. We'd love to be the next step in your entrepreneurial journey. Fill out the application at robbysamuels.com forward slash pop up app by Monday, May 23rd. 
Applications are accepted on a rolling basis while space is available. Now, on to this week's interview. Today's guest helps people be better humans. She is an accidental marketer, ex-corporate executive, and multi-potentialite with a smart mouth and a willingness to shout what most will only quietly think. She spent much of the last two decades working in marketing for startups and large organizations and left that world in a blaze of glory on a mission to get the world, business world to focus on the humanity of their teams and put people over profits. She works with new leaders and visionary experienced execs who want to transform their workplaces into human-centric powerhouses by implementing lucid leadership and people-first practices and policies. She's loud, proud, heavily caffeinated, and usually not safe for work, although she will try to be for this interview. Please join me in welcoming Anne Bono. Thank you so much, Robbie. And I promise I will do my absolute best to keep it G-rated. I'll spell out whatever I can't. So little ears in the room can be safe, but I will do my absolute best. Brilliant. You know, and we have a, a great editor on, on hand and he'll just have to work for his money for this episode. So, hey, Joshua. So thank you, uh, Anne, for joining us from your place in Holly Springs, North Carolina. So I, you know, we talked a little before hitting record and you know this is a show about building strong networks and that the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Absolutely. I love that question. And I was actually so thankful that you sent that question to me ahead of time because I got to think about it. When it comes to leadership, how do I define leadership? In a nutshell, I would say leaders create simplicity and manage complexity. And but I, what I mean by that is it's our job as leaders to essentially be visionaries and set strategy. And we have to do that simply and clearly so that folks know how to rally behind it and have that ability to see what their end result is. But ultimately, under that surface is a tremendously complex web of how do we actually accomplish that strategy? And it's our job to create that clarity, manage that complexity, and remember that everybody that's working for us and with us is a human being with specific needs wants, talents, and struggles. And as they are working towards that end goal, you have to take that into consideration so that they can do their absolute best work and you can empower them to do that. I have a picture of a duck as you were saying that. <laughs> you that know, is exactly, like, yeah. The visual of like the, 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 what you have to pro project as a leader is a calm, we can do this, I've got your back, we're all in this together, it's gonna be fine, here's the path forward follow me. But underneath the water is the like chaotic systems and managing and following up and nudging and nurturing and checking in and dead ends and starting over and plan C and D. Um, but if you come in looking like a whirlwind of chaos, no one's going to trust. But if exactly you right. are too mechanical and an automatron, no one's going to feel seen. So that I is, feel like you're this blur here. Yeah, God, I love that. I love that. And I wish the folks at home could have seen my head because I was like a bobblehead. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Uh, that, that's exactly right. And it's so interesting because you have to really, you have to essentially portray calm, like you said, but under the surface, have an eye on everything 
while at the same time understanding that a crucial, crucial part of your leadership is to be contextually transparent. And what I mean by that is you have to let your team know the information that they need, whether it's good news or bad news, while at the same time giving them the context so that they don't freak out. So I've experienced this many times when, for example, we weren't going to meet a financial goal. Okay, I'm not just going to say that to my team. I'm going to tell them that and then give them the context to understand why that is, what we need to do, and how we can solve it. So it's it's a very, what I call is the gentle tango of leadership, where you are very much taking people with you, showing them the steps that they need to take, explaining to them, leading them, but working with their own nuances as, as you're having that, that dance across the floor. I think... What also seems apparent when you think about it, but maybe we forget, is that everybody is doing their best to show up as if they got their uh, their stuff <laughs> back together. Um, and yes. everyone has the chaos below the surface. Um, and we're all trying to be our best selves, particularly in a work environment. So I, I really, I'm, I'm excited to dive more into the conversation about human-centric workplaces but I wanted to just dive a little more deeply into this experience you have around leadership. And I'm curious, when did you start realizing that you have these skills? That is also a great, great question. And the only answer I could come up with was when I got thrust into it. Um, I, it's funny because about maybe six or seven years ago, I was brought into a meeting by my then manager. Uh, just terrific, terrific manager. Uh, she was the VP of corporate marketing. And she asked me, so where do you want to go with your career? And at the time I was an individual contributor. I was running social media and content marketing. And that's what I was doing. And I loved every second of it. And I told her, I just want to keep doing what I'm doing. And I really don't want to manage people. Really not. That is not the thing that I want to do. Cut to me three months later, and I'm managing a team of 10, right? And so it was very much a let's get thrust into it. And it was trial by fire. And I think what helped me become a good leader, because I don't think I was one initially. When you first start out, you are very much just stumbling from one thing to the next, hoping you're not messing up people's lives too terribly. Um, but what helped me become a better leader was the desperate desire to be kind and to be understanding and to take people at face value, but then dig deeper to find out what makes them who they are and understanding that the way that somebody receives and processes information or feedback or the way that they work or the way that they react is most definitely not going to be what another person is going to take in, appreciate, work at. And so how did I know I had the skills? When it was just kind of put in my lap and said, all right, go run, figure it out, manage all these people and don't screw it up too bad. And there we go. And, you know, five years, six years later, I've managed teams that were as big as 70 people. I've managed 30 people. I've sometimes been in charge of the, an, an entire half of a company, millions of dollars in budget. And it's just, it, it just keeps getting thrust upon you and you just try your damn best to do a good job. I think it's so interesting um, that you have this very clear sense of yourself and you have this limiting belief about what you could do or wanted to even do, or it didn't, it wasn't even something you're a growing edge. You wanted to get better at. You were just like, Nope, I'm happy. Just leave me my little cubicle. I'm doing my thing. It's all good. Uh, see myself in five years, uh, right here, exactly where I am safe and just doing this job that I know really, really well and, and love, but clearly this, the supervisor 
saw some other potential in you. And I'm actually curious about where that originates from. If we let's wind the clock back a bit, let's talk about who you are on the playground. Let's talk about, you know, what you were like in grade school, in high school. Did you run for office? Did your friends like look to you to figure out what's happening on the weekend? Did you organize people or did you just sort of sit back and watch everything? I can't imagine you were to sit back and watch everything. So fill us in. Oh man. Um, So yeah, it would be a shock for you. I'm sure to know that I never have sat back and watched anything. And it's, I love this question also because just yesterday on the car ride home from carpool, shout out to my two kids. Um, they were, my daughter was talking to me about how she wants to run for student body president. And she is in fifth grade and she's going into middle school. And she said, mom, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, you know, I can help you because I, I was never student body president, but I was student body treasurer. And then they were like, really? Because I mean, Robbie, if you've got kids, you know, this kids don't ever think you're cool or have done anything worthwhile. They think you're incredibly stupid. It's especially when they're eight and 10, like me, I'm, I'm lucky I'm alive and breathing to them sometimes. Um, but I just kind of went down the list of things that I've done in the past. And I was going down that list that I realized, holy bananas, I have done so much in leadership roles. I, and I'm going, I'm like, yeah, so I was student body president, so I can, uh, student body treasurer, so I can help you with that. And I was editor in chief of the philosophy magazine, which I also founded. And I was the star in this play and that play. And, I can, and I'm going down the list. And first of all, now I am cool to my kids for a very short period of time, which is terrific. But second of all, I, your question is so timely because I have never, despite the fact that when I was in a work environment, I was very much like, can I just do my job? That would be great. Intrinsically, everybody around me has always pulled me into, hey, can you lead this team? Hey, can you run this thing? We have a question. Let's look to Anne. Let's, she can figure it out. She can figure it out. And I'm always a person who's saying, I don't know, but I can figure it out, raising my hand. So it's, yeah, it's as much as I would like to stay on the sidelines, the universe has a very crafty way of always pulling me into the thing and then saying, by the way, you lead. And I'm like, all right, let's, let's roll, let's lead. And I think that's what that, that supervisor saw. Um, and she just said, okay, sure. You want to stay in your role? Absolutely. Here's a team run. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, the, the thing is we need mirrors and that's what people are when they, when they come to us and they, they, they call out what they see. And the fact that you had this history that you probably weren't giving a lot of like credence to like, like you had lived it, but you hadn't stopped until your kids asked you to really um, talk about it. And it, it brought up all these old memories. It wasn't something you were thinking about, but yet that is a big, you know, I guess the who you are, you've always been. <laughs> um, and it just, you have different opportunities for how that manifests and you've been given access to different um, ideas and situations and people and supporters. But it's just so interesting to, to hear that, you know, you founded uh, a group that you then led a group that you starred in things like, you know, clearly all those... Uh, are, are you raising your hand and you saying, I'll do this and people saying, Hey, why don't you try this? And I'm curious when you were uh, getting to the end of high school, like what were the immediate plans for the future? Because the things you're doing today and the things you did for like the last seven, 10 years did not exist. So, um, you know, you weren't like, I can't wait to get into social media. Um, <laughs> you weren't like thinking that way. No. So what was, what was sort of the immediate plan? And did you go to college? Did you go into the workforce? Did you have a really clear path in front of you? Sure. I love that question because even in my bio, I'm an accidental marketer. And I mean that in the most true way, sense of the word. 
So after high school, I had a very clear path in terms of I grew up in Guatemala and I wanted to go to high to go to college in the US. So that was an incredibly clear path. And I knew that I wanted to do that. I worked very hard to do it. And I got accepted into many, many exceptional universities. And I, cho- I chose to go to Yale. Um, and I did. And it was wonderful. A really good experience. I wish I could go back and tell my younger self how to be better at doing college in terms of like actually going to class all the time and doing my homework and doing the reading. That's a story for another day. But the interesting thing was, was when I left school, I didn't really have a very clear path. And it was odd because I went to an Ivy League. And so everybody around me had a very specific path that they were going to follow. They were going to go into finance, or they were going to go to med school or grad school or law. Everybody had a, I mean, it was just like laser focus. And here I am thinking, okay, so I focused on literature and history of art. So I'm really great at cocktail party conversation. What in the world do I do next? I don't know. And I kind of bounced around a lot. And which made me feel, if I'm being perfectly honest, kind of underachieving, kind of inferior. Here I had all of my friends, everybody around me doing really, to me, incredible things at 22, 23, 24. And I'm like the manager at an Urban Outfitters because I haven't figured out what I'm doing, right? And and that was really kind of the story for the first few years out of college. I managed this, I did that, I tried financial services, I hated it, I I did some freelance, this sucks. And I ended up falling into something that I'd done before when I was in high school, which was test prep education. And I worked for a company um, that was, it's if I said the name, and I don't know if I can say the name if, if we're allowed to, but it's the third largest test prep firm, so, which means nobody has ever heard about it because everybody knows Kaplan and Princeton Review, and then you have the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. But exceptional company, really great, still around today. But it was a startup. It was a small startup. And much like with everything else, I, w- I went in just doing, I was going to teach SAT. And then I'm like, oh, I'll teach GMAT, I'll teach GRE, LSAT, whatever. I'll teach the stuff. Really loved it. And then someone said, hey, Ann, don't you have experience uh, doing admissions consulting? And I said, yeah, I actually helped a lot of my friends in school do that. Yeah. Oh, would you like to lead that department and that initiative? And of course I said, yes, as, as, as becoming a trend in who I am. Um, and then that turned into, Hey, so, and this was around, oh gosh, oh six, maybe oh five, oh six. And somebody said, Hey, so there's this Facebook thing that some companies are doing now. Does anybody know how to do the Facebook thing? And because I had been at Yale in 2003, 2004, I knew the Facebook thing very well. I was a very early adopter. I said, yeah, I can do that. And then they go, Oh, that's great. Do you also know how to do that? Twitter's the, the Twitter's thing. And I said, yeah, I, I can figure out the Twitter's thing. And the, and the Twitter's thing turned into the Pinterest thing. And the Pinterest thing turned into, do you know how to do email? And every time I said, yes, sure. Of course I will do that. And fast forward 15 years later, and I'm acting CMO of companies. And, and it's all because I kept saying yes. And basically just fell into an accidental career in marketing. And now here we are, right? It's, it's what I did for from about 2005 up all the way up until 2022. And then now you're at this point where you're doing your own thing or is it similar? Okay, we're gonna talk more about this shift in your, cause it's really interesting how you made this decision. Um, you know, what's so interesting about your story is that in some ways it seems like Yale didn't really help, right? Like it could have been any liberal arts college, but mm-hmm. Yale was one of the first schools to have access to Facebook. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, it gives you that edge. It gives me that edge. And the reason, this is why I love the universe. I feel like 
so many times in my career. And whenever I say this, people go, yeah, I I feel the same way too. I feel like so many times in my life and my career, I look back and I things that didn't really make sense or really didn't seem to have a benefit. If I take the time to look back and analyze what's going on, I'm like, oh, that's where it made sense. That's why it happened. That's because to your point, I could have even not gone to college, honestly, based on what, because I didn't graduate with a degree in marketing. I didn't go get an MBA. I, in fact, degrees in, in things like digital marketing, to your point, what I do now that didn't exist. Hi, young people. We didn't have degrees in digital anything back in 2003 and four. It wasn't a thing. I was being cutting edge by doing literature and history of art, right? Like that's where we were. But it made sense because I knew Facebook. I went, I literally went to school with the founder of Pinterest. I, a lot of my friends are now. So it's just, it's interesting because I was imbued in what was going to be a revolution in marketing without even knowing so. And, but yeah, it's the, the universe has a funny way of circling back and going. So remember that thing that didn't make any sense at all. That's why that thing happened. So use it, use it to your advantage. I think it's really hard when you're in the midst of, of that space uh, before the big reveal to stay in the hopeful space that this will all make sense one day. And it's useful to be reminded of these moments in our own lives or even witnessing other people's lives to maybe like have that glimmer of, well, persevere, keep going. It will one day, 2020 hindsight makes sense um, why, why you went through that experience. Because you really, I mean, the Yale network is a big reason to go. And you at first had no reason for it, um, being a manager of, a, of a, a chain, but then it suddenly mattered. And the people you went to school with ended up in positions of authority and had budgets and had access and did amazing things. And so it's just really, um, I don't know, it's just an interesting point about kind of the circuitous way our lives unfold. You have a very successful career. You build this all up. You were um, not, for part of it, you're hired, but like meaning you're working at a company. But at some point, did you decide to, to sort of go your own route and kind of uh, the, new, the new term fractional is being used a lot. We, were you sort of stepping in to work uh, with different companies, multiple companies at a time, or did you continue to work one by one? Uh, currently or in the past? Like as is a trajectory, like, you know, you, you were that one startup and it did well and kept advancing. Did it, at what point did you realize I have skills? I have, you know, transferable skills. I could use this anywhere. When, when did that dawn on you and what did you do next with that information? Absolutely. So after I did test prep and I just kind of honed my skills for six years there, I never really shifted into a fractional thing. Um, I did, however, for a while, run my own agency, uh, which it's a fancy term for saying I sat on my couch and did a bunch of work on my own for other people. But I was a consultant. I was a digital marketing consultant. And that was probably some of the most fun I've ever had. I ran my own agency and it was called Badass Marketing. You can't edit that out, Josh, because it's the name of the thing. And it's on books. So it's okay. That's right. That's right. (laughs) It sure is. So... Uh, I ran Badass Marketing, and that was so much fun. Um, I basically worked with self-published authors to launch their books, and it was incredibly interesting because, again, it was the dawn of the self-published era. It was we were figuring out how to leverage Goodreads. It was basically the dawn of influencer marketing from a literary perspective. And so in a way, again, I was kind of in the middle of a brand new marketing thing, just figuring it out. I used to run like really large readers groups to essentially sorry, Amazon, game the system to 
put books at the top of the list because I figured out if you could get a whole bunch of readers to post reviews on launch day for a book, you skyrocketed to the top of the charts in Amazon. And then you paired it up with digital ads and book reviews and book tours. And it was fantastic, right? And I did that until I realized that the entire reason that um, I had started a business was to spend more time with my family and not work, you know, 80, 90 hour weeks. Behold, that's actually what happened. And that's typically what happens when you run your own gig. So I decided to go back into the corporate world to your point, because I had skills and I figured out, okay, I have skills from a social and influencer building perspective. How can I leverage that? And that's how I got my foot in the door in corporate America. Um, and I was a social media manager for two companies in a row. And it was at that second company that the manager who saw potential in me said, Hey, it's your turn to lead and pass me that baton. And from there, it just grew. I went from running just social and content of that company to moving to another company and then running product marketing for them and then demand generation for them. And then getting promoted into acting CMO when the CMO there moved off. And then at my last company, I was the VP of growth, which meant I wasn't just in charge of marketing. I was in charge of sales, marketing, and customer success and support, kind of owning the entire customer lifecycle. So it was, it was interesting because I leveraged my skills initially to get my foot in the door in corporate America, but then it was through sheer force of will and the power of Googling whenever I didn't know how to do something that I grew into other roles and just kind of admitting ignorance, but never letting it push me down. And then just figuring out how do I move to the next step? What do I not know? And how do I figure it out? Admitting ignorance and not letting it push you down, it could also be a great definition for a leader. Mm -hmm. it's, that, it's that vulnerability of being in a room with your team and saying, I don't know. It's incredibly rare. It doesn't happen. I've seen it have, I have seen the effect it can have when a leader and in this case, the leader has been me many times, just admits ignorance on something or just says, so I did this thing, didn't work out, or, hey, I missed this deadline. This is how we're going to fix it. It allows your team to feel like failure is okay. You can always recover from failure. It lets your team know that not having all the answers, that's fine. Because guess what? You can always learn it. It's letting your team know that you don't have to be perfect. We, especially in marketing, are in so much under so much pressure all of the time to perform. We are seen as the driving agents of demand and ergo tied directly into that bottom line. And we feel like we cannot underperform. We cannot be unperfect. And having a leader that just admits to that and says, I don't know, we're going to be okay. This might get screwed up. We'll find out. The only time that I've ever told my team that I would be disappointed in them was if they failed the same way twice, because that would tell me that they didn't learn from the first failure. But other than that, fail all you want, like go nuts. I'd rather see you fail 10 times in different ways than not fail at all and keep it as, as safe and copacetic as possible. Right. Yeah. Cause that's, there's, there's no growth in that. Mm -hmm. So I'm, uh, I only had, you popped up on my scene, like in the matter of like maybe the last, I go six weeks ago. Um, and it's really, it's, I love this story too, because so Scott Stratton, who uh, is, is an amazing marketer on marketing, he's his brand and out of Canada, he's a well-known um, keynote speaker. And uh, he and his wife, Allison have written, Allison has really written so many books on so many great topics. And he was an early adopter to Twitter um, and he's got this great story about how he did a, a, a book tour that was a speaking tour, not a book tour. And um, so, I, you know, someone I admire, someone I've gotten to know a little bit over the years, 
And I'm looking on LinkedIn and he commented on your post. And because I know him, your post popped up. And so I looked at your post and it was a story. And I, that's a style of writing that I try to do. And so I was drawn in and I liked it and I thought nothing about it. And then like a week later, he comments again. And again, I find myself doing it. And then I look at your profile and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then a third time it pops up. And this time I find myself looking at your profile, not realizing I already had looked at your profile. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a second, I'm going to just reach out. So then I, very, I actually do very little outbound on LinkedIn because I think most people who do outbound on LinkedIn are like doing it wrong. <laughs> so I try to just avoid the noise and I, I share my link widely and I invite people to reach out to me. But I rarely reach out. And so I was trying to figure out how to reach out to you in a non-creepy, non-paternalistic, <laughs> I'm excited to get to know who you are way. And I'll let you pick up the story from there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let me just start off by saying that we share, we are both in the Stratton Appreciation Club. Scott is such an absolutely terrific person and to me mentor. And he's, he's just fantastic. Like I love him. I love you, Scott. I will send you this link when it's available so you can hear me. I love you. Um, but it's, it's interesting how you and I met. And it's one of the things where, you know, the power of the Stratton really comes into play here because he liked my stuff. It made you pop up. And then you reached out to me. And the most interesting thing to me is that I have only been on the scene for about six weeks actively doing what I am doing. And the fact that you reached out was a delight, first of all. But I think it would be it would be interesting for me to kind of recount how I even ended up in, in this particular place. Like what in the world happened that led me to go from executive, running things, VP, acting, CMO, things like that, to now I'm, I'm my own person. I'm coaching, I'm consulting, I'm speaking, I'm doing, I'm doing podcasts. Hello world. And how did that even happen? And the interesting thing was that it happened because of the universe. So I had for months, honestly, if we're being, if we're being honest, maybe even years had felt unfulfilled in my role, uh, in the various roles that I had. And I was trying to figure out why. And I always thought that the next role would make it better. So I didn't feel fulfilled in one role. So I'm like, all right, well, let's apply to the next one. Oh, I got the next role. Let's do that. And three months later, I'm like, oh, womp, womp. All right, I feel unfulfilled. All right, I'll stick around for a little bit. And then let's find a new one. And I had reached kind of that, that situation at my last role. And it wasn't so, it wasn't to do with the company. It wasn't to do with the people. It wasn't to do with anything, but it had to do with something. And that something was me. And I was, I recall this very clearly. I was meeting with my therapist and it was a Tuesday. And I was talking to her and I was saying, Kalila, I just don't know why I feel unfulfilled. I'm applying to all of these jobs. I think maybe if I get a new job, I'm going to feel happier, but I'm not excited. Like at least usually at this point in the process, I'm excited, but I'm not, I'm not excited. Why? And we talk about it and we talk about it. And finally, I realized that I wasn't excited because I was basically in a hole in my brain. And in that hole, I was surrounded by, you know, things that I just didn't like. Oh, scorpions and snakes. And oh God, I don't like it. Why? Let me dig a hole into the next hole that looks like it has posts. Um, and maybe that'll be great. And then when I got, I knew, but I knew because at this point I'm 41 years old and I knew that if I got to that other hole, I would love the pillows for a minute. And then I'd pick them up and there would be all the things that I dislike again. And in that course of that single hour long therapy session, I said, you know what? 
I'm going to withdraw from all of these processes. I'm not going to be interviewing anymore. I'm going to stay at this next job, at this current job for six months. And I'm going to build up what I really want to do, which is speak again. I want to be on stage again. I want to coach leaders, especially new leaders, and show them how to be human-centric and people-focused. And that's what I want to do. I'm going to basically spend the next six months doing that, set up my team for success, and then I'm going to leave. Well, the universe has an interesting way of hearing you and then pushing you off the gangplank of possibility because that Friday I got fired. And what are you going to do? I got fired. And I was like, holy crap, here we are. I three days ago and literally Robbie that same day for that therapy, I had withdrawn from all the processes. So now I have nothing. There is no safety net. There is nothing, but I did have the absolute clarity that I had to do something different. And this was the universe saying six months, how about six days? Get out there. You can do this. Here's your floaties go nuts. And so I did. And I just, I started posting. I'm like, all right, what does one do when one wants to build a business? I thought I'd have at least a week to think about this. Alas, here we are. And I'm like, all right, let's leverage LinkedIn. Let's talk about the story. Let's create a website. Let's talk about what you want to do. Did I have a clear idea of what I wanted to do? Not really. I knew that I wanted to help people. That's a good start, but it's not a business. And I just started sharing my story. And that was the story that Scott reacted to, that you saw, that actually has been one of the most resonating stories I have ever told, um, because it basically said, hey, I have been in the corporate world for the bulk of my adult life. And in that time, I have felt unfulfilled. And I couldn't figure out why I felt unfulfilled. And then I realized why. And it's because people aren't at the center of anything. People aren't at the center of marketing decisions. People aren't at the center of sales decisions. People aren't at the center of leadership. Everything is driven by profit. Everything is driven by process. Everything is driven by how can we micromanage you to be the most productive cog in the machine. And the problem is we are not cogs. We are humans. And that's how you need to lead us. And that's the kind of workplace that you need to create. Because if you don't, you are going to get left behind. You will lose your people because we're all getting really, really tired of being treated like cogs in a replaceable machine. And so there we go. And yeah, so six weeks ago, got canned, maybe eight now. I can't remember. Not that long ago. And now I'm out here just shouting as loud as I can figuring out, all right, eventually if I shout long enough and do and do things long enough, I can make a change. And that's what I'm going to do. I love this experience that you've had and how you're translating the difficult times you've experienced into an empowered state of mind of how you're going to give back to others. You can relate, you can empathize. It's, it's, I think the reason I resonate with the way you tell stories is that they feel like real stories. And it's just, I think uh, this is a nod of appreciation to you because you are a marketer and you also know that those tried and true ways of reaching out to the community and the public um, get kind of like overused to the point where it's like, oh no, not again. You're, you know, great. You're bringing out the little kids so we can all hear the story about the little kid. And you know, it's like, oh, now they have shoes. Okay. You know, it's like, we, I don't know. It's like, we yawn our way through a lot of the, like those of us that have been savvy and like paying attention. It's like, ah, but I think as a person who my weekly email is story-based and I, I think it, 
it shows the human side. I mean, that's part of what's so great about it. It it's messaging about business life and business lessons, but it's your story. And sometimes you're illustrating someone else's story. And why is it so rare? I don't know. <laughs> so I think there's something that you said about just that as a marketing, um, a, a method um, of marketing. And then there's the, okay, now you're, <laughs> this decision that you made, the universe decided was not going to wait six months. I mean, it's, yeah, life happens that way. So um, give us a little context for what you do today. Like I, you, I know you, there's a zillion things you want to be doing, but yeah. how, how are you best serving and, and who, I guess, who do you serve? Who are the people that you most enjoy working with? If you could identify that so early in this yeah. process and what do they come to you hoping to have as the outcome of working with you? What are they hoping to achieve by working with you? I so love that question because to your point, it is something that only recently have I actually synthesized for myself. Again, been to, been in this particular gig for eight, six to eight weeks. But somebody asked me that about a week ago and I really had to sit down and go, okay, who do I actually want to impact? Because it's one thing to say startups and leaders. Okay, great. Everybody wants to impact startups and leaders. Here are the people that I really want to work with and find that I love working with. So I love, love, love working with young and emerging leaders. That is my absolute favorite thing to do. And that doesn't mean that you necessarily need to be 22 and doing a startup, although that is some of the people that I work with. But what I want to do is influence the way that the work culture happens and exists. And the best way to do that most of the time is to talk to the people who are coming up, not to the people who are already established. So the folks who want to be leaders, who want to be managers, who have just been put in leadership positions, those are the people that I work with. And the way that we work together is we figure out what kind of leader do you want to be? And a lot of times that that question for me, when I ask it is met with big doe eyes, right? Like big, huge eyes, like, I don't know what that means. And so I ask, all right, what kind of manager do you wish you had, or what is the best manager that you've had? Oh, and right there, all the stuff comes tumbling out. Oh, okay. Somebody who empowers me, somebody who is kind, somebody who understands that stuff happens, somebody who teaches me, somebody who mentors me. And I'm like, okay, that's the leader you got to be. How do we get there? And then we build out a path and the path is long, right? And, and it's not like I have a ton of people. I've mentored many, many people in my career. Right now, I only have a few consulting clients and coaching clients because I've only been in the game for six to eight weeks. But that those are the folks that are coming to me. And the other layer of folks that I absolutely love working with are what I call the visionary modern elders, which is the folks who have been in the game, in the corporate game for a long time. And like me, because I am an elder, you know, I'm not young in the, in the corporate world, in the management world, but who know that there is something missing, who know that there is something wrong, who know that they want desperately to love their teams and their teams to love them back, not because they are paying their salary, not because they are giving them promotions, but because they feel supported and they feel seen and they feel valued and they feel promoted by that leader. And those are the people that I work with um, individually because those are the, the folks that are open to coaching, first of all, um, and secondarily open to the idea that shifting the mindset from profits to people is where we want to be. When you focus on the people, the profits come. That's the crazy part. You focus on the people, you will grow your bottom line. That's a that's the magic of it. But yeah, those are the folks that I coach. Um, from a consulting perspective, 
I work primarily with startups and I work to essentially humanize their demand gen marketing, which is different than their lead gen marketing. We're not in the business of generating leads and creating clickbait content to get your emails. What we are is in the business of providing value education and building trust and love so that a company becomes a partner and a thought leadership, a thought leader before you even think about asking for that trial or before you even think about requesting a demo, you are basically becoming a partner from a growth perspective for your potential customer and your prospect. So I essentially, I try to put the human in the middle of anything that I'm doing. And that's, that's how I'm focusing my time right now. And you you live this in so many ways, like uh, every post that you take, there's a good chance you're wearing a green hoodie that says, be a better human. And uh, it's it's like, it's, it's pretty sweet swag for what you're trying to represent in the world. Um, thank you for sharing that because, um, I, and I'm also impressed because you are really relatively new on this particular path. And I know how much I dislike the question of ideal client when I was first leaving my day job to focus full-time on entrepreneurship and had to shift who I wanted to serve. And it's, it's going to evolve over time. And I, and I appreciate that you have this much clarity this early on. And I think it's because you've also been witness to these two extremes. You've been the early, um, younger, you know, entrepreneur, uh, sorry, younger employee who's trying to like make a difference, has a lot of hope, has a lot of heart and hasn't yet been like beaten down by the system, but then starts to realize, oh, you know, there's a, there's only seems to be like a path in front of me. I can't do my path. And that's disheartening. And then they quit and then they go look for another job. So like all, all the, all the stuff going on right now, but the great resignation and all that is like very closely tied with the experience you're talking about. And they have people like you who are, you know, in their later years and have, you know, 15, 20 plus years of experience in business that are trying to desperately do something different than what they experienced and are finally starting to see that they have some power in how they can shape things. But unfortunately, without intentionality, you just do what you've always done. So um, that's really hard. And, and it makes me think actually a lot about racial justice and um, equity and all the all the the verbiage around doing the right thing versus like actually just do do the right thing like don't just talk about doing it. like do the right thing but how hard it can be to live the values that you espouse as a company and you put on the beautiful poster that you put on the wall in like the most public place ever right so i feel like the human centric piece also ties to that larger conversation around equity and justice because people <laughs> are actually people. who we're talking about. We're talking about people, whether right. we're talking about, you know, bottom line or marketing or yeah. So I, it feels very relevant for the moment, what you're doing. And I, and I think it's a really interesting angle because it, it is, it's, it's always important to set yourself apart and have your unique um, perspective that you're sharing in the marketplace. And I feel like that's, that's something I see you bringing. So I'm just going to like add my accolades <laughs> to that. Um, so here I, I'm going to switch gears just a little bit because I I think you've got this most interesting um, career trajectory. I'm really glad we got to explore your both leadership and entrepreneurial journey and how you sort of accidentally and profoundly became who you are. And so along the way, you've met amazing people. Um, shout out to Scott and others like him. So when you're thinking about that network, you have sort of the inner layer, the inner circle, the people that you know you're going to stay connected with. 
But then think about that second and third layer or second and third tier out. These are people that you like. I want to preface this. You like them. They like you. And you maybe work with them five years ago, but you're not right now. Or maybe you see them once a year at a conference. How do you think about nurturing and sustaining those larger network connections um, in, in, a, in a way that keeps you top of mind or, or stays somewhat meaningful? Are there any habits or philosophies or practices that you employ? Absolutely. I, again, God, you asked the best questions. I keep saying, I love that question, but it's actually something that um, I've been very mindful, particularly over the past eight weeks in, in kind of thinking about and how to cultivate it. And it's, it's interesting because that makes it sound super selfish, but it's actually been because I finally have time. Um, one of the things that I never had when I was working in a corporate space was just time, time to connect with people, time to do it. So what I have actually been doing is just going through my network and every day sending two or three messages of, to people and just saying, hey, how are you? We haven't connected in such a long time. I would love to catch up with you. Do you want to have a virtual coffee? And if they're like, yeah, I'm like, absolutely. Let me send you a $5 Starbucks gift card. Let's do this. And it's, it's as simple as that. Like, and I'm very lucky in that I have a very large connection, a very large network of people, all of whom are wonderful because I am an obsessive curator of good tribes. And so I very have obsessively. So you're stuck, Robbie, you should know you're stuck in my tribe forever. Uh, good people. I like to surround myself by them, like a warm blanket of, of awesome. But that's really all it's become is me being proactive in my outreach to folks just maintaining those connections and making sure that when we finish that 15 or 20 minute catch up, because I want to be mindful of people's time. So we just kind of get together. How are you doing? Oh my gosh, what are you up to? I'm up to this. This is great. And one of the things that I also am doing is when I meet up with people and they go, and they hear the story of what I'm doing and I, they find out what they ask me what I'm doing, because I'm, again, I'm always wearing the green hoodie that says be a better human. They're like, what are you doing? And they go, how can I help you? And my request has always been Connect me with more awesome people. Who do you know that is awesome that would resonate with this message? I don't need money. I don't need, I don't need, I mean, of course, if you want to give me money, give me money, but I don't need money. I don't need, I love support, but what I want is a tribe. I want a tribe of like minded, wonderful humans because the only way that we will make the kind of systemic change that we need from a people centric, human centric workplace approach is to have as many people in this chorus as possible saying the same things. So when people ask me, how can I help? I'm like, send me three people that you think would be amazing that I could talk to. And all I want to do is talk. There will be zero pitches. There will be zero nothing. I'll send them a gift card for coffee because everybody loves a coffee. But in exchange for just sitting down and talking to me, and I got to tell you, Robbie, doing that has led to the most fulfilling and awesome eight last weeks of my life, which has been just I've never been happier, to be completely honest. This has been some of the most rewarding time I've spent in my entire adult life. And it's because it's about the people. It's about the people that I've gotten to talk to and connect with. But yeah, my, my advice is just, you're never bothering anyone. Just reach out and say, hi, how are you? Do you want to get together and talk? Let's catch up. People will say, hell yeah, I do. Let's hang. Because that's what's missing. Everybody has forgotten how to be human and connecting. Just reach out. That's yeah. all. You know, um, my background is that prior to the pandemic, I spent over a decade working to be recognized as a networking expert and I had a focus on helping people network at conferences. And in March, 2020, that at part <laughs> became irrelevant. We no longer at anything. And 
I, I was like, you know, I've got to figure out this virtual thing because events are about content and connection. The reason we get on the plane and we travel long distances isn't just for the content, it's yeah. for the people. And if we're going to be stuck in our houses doing all this virtually, we, we can't do it the way we've done it with, you know, the, the horrible webinar format and all that. So um, I love that you're taking this to sort of the next degree of, you know, it's even if you love what you do and we all have good jobs, it's take the time to do this on even a smaller scale. So you're making a real effort to do this on a larger scale and regular basis. But if you look every week, you have a few minutes to decide to like mm -hmm. reach out to your network, you'll get, I just feel like there's a boost, you know, and I, I truly believe that relationships are the answer to any business or life challenge. And I feel like this is where you and I are so aligned uh, with thinking about this. Um, I can't wait to get off this uh, call with you just because I want to take a few minutes to brainstorm out who am I going to introduce you to? Yes, um, please. Yes. And, and what, what networks I want to introduce you to as well, because I, I think people who are abundant and thinking in this way should all know each other. It's just very powerful. Um, as we're wrapping up though, I'm, I want to um, ask you, cause I know we're, you know, there's, there's no way I'm not going to be talking to you a year from now. Um, but let's say it is a year from now and we are celebrating all of your successes. What are we going to be toasting? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? Oh my God. That's a oh wow. You're sending me off on, on like a, a thinking spree. So what I would love to celebrate, what I would absolutely love to celebrate is being back on stage. I miss the stage so much. And I would love to know that I have been on stage and influencing people on a large scale, telling people about the wonders of putting humanity at the center. If I could say at least once, I've been back on stage one time, oh my God, that would be the thing to cheer because I, I, I miss, God, I miss an event. I miss connecting. I miss sharing. I miss the vibe of being in, on the stage and literally feeling that energy from people and making people laugh on a large scale is like no other drug I've ever felt in my life. I live for that cackle that ripples across an auditorium. That would be, that in and of itself would be just enough. But something that I would love to also have in my back pocket is I have helped people grow. And if I can say even just a handful of people five or six people, I have helped them take a risk, take a chance, advocate for themselves one more time, maybe make the leap into entrepreneurship because we need more diverse entrepreneurs making a change. If I could just have a handful of people that I could point to and say, I had a small part in building that person up. Oh, I'm getting, literally, I'm making myself have goosebumps. Like that's how good it is because that's, that's the vibe. That's the jam. It's, is making the I sound so freaking cheesy. It's like I'm on the Miss Universe pageant. What do you want to do? I want to make the world a better place desperately. And if I can do that by having stepped on a stage and talked about the importance of people, and if I can do that by having actually helped real people, guiding them at least through a part of their journey, that's the toast. That's that's the champagne that we toast to. Like that would be the thing that would make me the happiest. I cannot wait to celebrate that with you. That will be amazing and highly worth celebrating. And I imagine you're going to succeed at that and lots more that you're not even thinking of right now. Listen, I, I want people to connect with you. So, Anne, how can people find you and follow your work? Well, 
there are so many ways you can you can find human centric everywhere. But the place I love to connect is actually LinkedIn. Uh, so find me, find me on LinkedIn. It's a wonderful, vibrant, professionally unprofessional network that is just filled with incredible people. So just look me up. You know, LinkedIn.com slash in slash and Bono A N N E B O N O. Find me, connect with me. If you want to see what I do, go to humancentric.work. So www.humancentric.work. You can take a look at some of the cool swag that Robbie's talking about, which I should plug. All the profits go to good causes. So that's my favorite part about it is that it's, again, all about the people and putting people over profits. So all the profits for the cool green hoodie swag and all the other things that Robbie's talking about, uh, they all go to good causes, uh, selected monthly by my people who, who helped me choose. But yeah, find me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is my jam. I live on that thing. It's, it's kind of an obsession and an addiction, but it's a good one. I'm choosing to see it as a good one. It is a good one. I will put all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. And thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Thank you so much, Robbie. This was such a freaking pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Anne. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share it resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 280. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which are your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review in Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you to Dance. I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.